You have to offer the essential content your learners need and desire, but that's just table stakes. Content alone is not enough to stand out from competitors or to ensure you'll be effective. To ensure your offerings are effective, you have to up your game. And one obvious way to do that is by helping your subject matter experts be better teachers and presenters. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. In today's episode, number 291, we're going to talk about upping your learning business's game by improving the efficacy and impact of the experts you use. And when we talk about experts, we're using that as an umbrella term that encompasses the subject matter experts, the presenters, and the faculty that your learning business likely relies on. But we're going to use the term subject matter expert or SME or SME mostly. Now, admittedly, not all learning businesses rely on external experts, but in our experience, most do rely on them, at least some. So these are the people who develop and or deliver some of the learning experiences that you offer to learners. And when we say learning experiences, we're thinking about conference sessions, classes and seminars, self-paced e-learning, real-time webinars, tests and examinations, and more. You know, often to develop or deliver learning, a learning business needs to involve and enlist people beyond its internal team because it needs the authority and knowledge and skills that these outside experts bring to the specific domains addressed in learning experiences. But the knowledge and skills those subject matter experts bring are rarely in the field of andragogy, andragogy being the theory of adult learning popularized by Malcolm Knowles. So these SMEs know some topic or topics of importance to the field, profession, or industry your learning business serves, but that doesn't mean they're experts in the science of adult learning. In fact, they may not even be familiar with the science of adult learning. They may never have heard of andragogy because odds are that's not why you sought them out. You, you sought them out for their expertise and experience in a different domain, in their domain of specialty. So if you serve radiologists, then you, know, you might engage SMEs that help develop content around lung cancer screening using computed tomography of the chest. If you serve home builders, then you might enlist electricians or plumbers or architects as subject matter experts to provide targeted information about some aspect of construction. But again, it's unlikely that those SMEs will know both about chest CTs and andragogy. And most providers of learning, in our experience, really haven't thought enough about the implications of that. So to give an example ripped from the pages of my own past, I was hired as a French teaching assistant when I started graduate school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Now, in some departments, teaching assistants are truly that. They assist a full professor. So in the sciences, that might mean that a full professor teaches the big main class, what's traditionally been lecture-based, and I hope we talk more about lecture in a bit. And then the teaching assistant leads a lab a smaller group of students who meet and get to try out hands-on experiments. Well, it didn't work that way in the Romance Languages department. In Romance Languages, being a teaching assistant meant that I was singularly responsible for a section of French 1. I had an assigned textbook, 
but I was responsible for lesson plans and quizzes and activities. And do you know how I got that job, Jeff? Well, I definitely have some guesses, but I'll just ask, how? By recording on a cassette tape, me reading a prescribed text in French. It was just a few minutes long, maybe even only two minutes long. Then presumably someone listened to that tape that they received via the U.S. mail, looked at my college transcript of French classes. I had some study abroad, and that was sufficient to get me hired. UNC hired me based on domain knowledge. They treated me like a subject matter expert. They hired me to teach, and they had no idea if I could teach. They made the assumption that if I knew French, I could teach French, which seems like a dangerous assumption to make. I know I can think of many, many situations in which, you know, someone who's really good at something has, has actually been of no help at all to me in learning how to do that thing. I'm right with you there. I've had a, I had a very similar um, experience, multiple experiences actually, at the same institution of being, as you noted, sort of put up in front of a classroom with the assumption that, well, A, that you've got the experience in the domain to do it. I, I, I'm not even sure they really checked that <laughs> in, the, in my instance. Um, but, I, but I had, you know, I had experience in, in language. I had experience in literature, which are the, the topics that I was teaching. But like you, I really had no experience, had not been educated at all in the science of learning, of, of how to teach adults, uh, young adults in, in that case. So, you know, thank you to all those students who put up with me, and I hope <laughs> learned something in the, in the process all those years ago. Well, I think one of the flaws of assuming that because someone knows something, they know how to teach it, is that a lot of us have actually had subpar learning experiences. You know, I mentioned the big lecture class, and that's definitely been a, a staple in higher education and even K-12 for a long, long time. I do feel like there's been some progress more recently to make learning more experiential, more personalized, you know, using tech tools or project-based learning, you know, where learners get to choose projects. But I still think there's an awful lot of, of pure lecture, which we know isn't as effective as more targeted and more interactive experiences. Yeah, you know, not to knock the lecture completely because there are, there are definitely good lectures and, and bad lectures. And I, I think we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and kind of condemning all lectures. But it's still true that on the whole, we know that more learner engagement means more retention and retention is essential if the learner is going to apply what she's learned, you know, actually take that, uh, the, the information, the, the knowledge that's shared in, in whatever the type of learning experience it is, and actually take that back into her life and take it back into her work and make something happen with it, which, you know, just too often is not the result with a lot of the continuing education and professional development experiences that we see the average subject matter expert put together. Well, yeah, and you make a good point about there definitely being good lectures as well as bad lectures. I mean, there are whole businesses built around good lectures. I mean, we you spoke with Stephen Tragus of One Day University, and obviously they've built a business around good lectures. And I think there's an issue too that just knowing that projects and activities are maybe more engaging or better than you know pure lecture, that still doesn't necessarily mean that the learning experience will be that much more effective, you know, because just as there are good and bad lectures, there are good and bad activities. And I'm guessing that most listeners can think of at least one time, if not a whole slew of times, where they've been asked to complete some activity during a session or in a class, 
but that activity didn't really contribute to their learning. Yeah, I mean, one that I hear people kind of groan and, and complain about all the time if you're in the halls of a conference talking to people about sessions is what I characterize as sort of the traditional discuss among yourselves group activity where, you know, the presenter just sort of lobs the topic out there and says, you know, have some discussion about this at your table. But there's no real clear purpose, no real structure or goals have been set around that discussion, no guidance as to how the learners might take whatever the topic is and again, apply it back into their lives. I mean, that's certainly the the, the implication, what the presenter wants the people in the, in the room to do, but how to get them to do that, to give them the path to doing that just really isn't presented. And so you get people sitting around talking for a little bit and then twiddling their thumbs and, and staring at the ceiling and or maybe one person dominating the mm -hmm. conversation is probably the most typical thing that happens. But whether any actual learning comes out of that type of activity, mostly people just learn to hate that type of activity. <laughs> well, I think that type of activity also has been showing itself in the virtual realm as well. You know, I think the breakout rooms, people think, oh, well, uh, Zoom webinar isn't interactive enough. We're going to have breakout rooms for discussion. But again, if it's not structured, if you aren't actually giving people thought-provoking questions and time to reflect and then get them to engage, it really can just fall absolutely flat and be no more effective, you know, than pure lecture. And so, you know, to kind of sum up what we've been talking about, you know, not only do subject matter exper experts likely not have training in adult learning theory, they're likely to draw on their own experience in school and then in other learning situations when they're trying to develop or deliver their own content. And those examples from their own experience may not be worth copying. The problem with, you know, SMEs starts in, you know, K-12 education. You know, think about that algebra teacher who knows all the equations, but doesn't know how to interest or engage their high school students in the class. You see that kind of thing all the time. And part of the issue there may be what's typically called the, the curse of knowledge. Often we get caught up in that ourselves without without realizing it. You know, if you are the expert in, in front of the classroom, you know your stuff, you have a tendency to think that other people are maybe not as far along as you are, but that they're further along than they probably are. And, and even simple things like, you know, when I'm speaking at times to, to groups and I'll just throw out the acronym LMS, or for that matter, SME, and just assume that the people in the room know that, well, you know, that's part of my everyday life. I talk about those things all the time. You can't assume even that other people who are in the learning business are necessarily throwing around those acronyms all the time. It may take them a minute to catch up, or some may be new to it and have never heard it at all. But I'm just assuming everybody's with me as I go on talking about learning management systems, which is what an LMS would be, or subject matter experts, which is what an SME would be. I know that. I need to make sure that the people that I'm trying to instruct know that as well. Right. And that curse of knowledge is that, you know, if you're an expert in a field, you don't even realize how much you know. It's become second nature to yourself. You don't even realize sort of how much, how far back you have to go and how basic you have to get. I mean, you really have to have a beginner's mind if you really want to teach. And it can be hard to sort of set aside all the years of experience and, and study if you're an expert and really get down to, okay, how do I explain this to a beginner? So all of what we've been talking about is really the current situation. Learning businesses often rely on subject matter experts to develop and deliver learning products, 
but those SMEs probably don't know how to develop and deliver products in ways that align with brain science and adult learning principles. And there's a big problem with that situation for learning businesses, you know, organizations whose existence depends on providing effective learning. You have to offer the essential content your learners need and desire, but that's just table stakes. Content alone is not enough to stand out from competitors or to ensure you'll be effective. To ensure your offerings are effective, you have to up your game. And one obvious way to do that is by helping your subject matter experts be better teachers and presenters. Good learning technology is also important in ensuring your offerings are effective. WebCourseWorks is a learning technologies company with an ever-evolving learning management system, CourseStage. CourseStage LMS is leveraged by organizations of all sizes to build a learning business and track education outcomes for proven success. Download the WebCourseWorks guide, Four Ways an LMS Can Help Build a Revenue-Generating Learning Business, and learn how your organization can leverage a learning management system to generate revenue for your learning practice. Get the guide at webcourseworks.com slash four hyphen LMS hyphen revenue hyphen models. We encourage you to check out WebCourseWorks and you can find a link to the guide four ways an LMS can help build a revenue generating learning business in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 291. So that's the situation and the problem. But of course, where there are problems, there are very often opportunities. True enough. And there is an opportunity here. And it's one that you and we have been talking about for a number of years now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, going back more than a decade with our consulting experience, one of the initiatives that we've typically recommended to organizations, particularly those that are delivering learning as, as part of events online or off, is to institute what we've characterized as a SME excellence initiative or subject matter expert excellence initiative, which really is just you know around providing good tips, good guidelines, maybe some brief training around what some of those best practices are in instructional design, what some of the core concepts are in adult learning to try to get them to put them to work in the presentations that they're creating. And we've seen some organizations embrace that, some that we've worked with, some that we haven't. And I think kind of mixed results on how that actually turns out. And we'll talk about that a little bit, that it's one thing to suggest to subject matter experts that this is valuable, getting them to really embrace it and, and doing it can require a little bit more. But if you think about how essential it is for a learning business to know that its learning products are effective because its reputation is really staked almost entirely on the effectiveness of those learning products. I mean, if you take that into account, then it really makes perfect sense to invest in support and or education for subject matter experts. Because if you're going to use those folks in developing and delivering your products and services, you want to make sure that what they're putting out there is backed by the science of adult learning. And it's a good point, Salisa. I mean, depending on the situation, you know, support may work as well or even better than education or training. So, you know, if you're developing a self-paced e-learning course, for example, then pairing an instructional designer with a subject matter expert can work perfectly well. That might be the, the right thing to do there. But 
if you need the subject matter expert to be, you know, solo or, or center stage during the design and or, or delivery of the, the learning experience. So, you know, for example, in the, in the case of the typical conference session or webinar, then you're really going to need to, to teach them to fish, to, to teach them effective science-backed approaches to apply. And along with that, point out some of the debunked approaches to avoid, but that unfortunately get used all too often. Well, yeah, I think we still hear far too much about learning styles, this idea that there are visual or auditory or kinesthetic learners. But really what the science shows is that, yeah, people might have preferences, but there aren't you know strict styles. And so it's not like you have to present content this way for, you know, quote, visual learners and another way for, quote, kinesthetic learners. Really... Again, people might have preferences, but we've actually discovered that really most people benefit from experiencing kind of content or skills or knowledge along multiple domains. So maybe both seeing something as a visual and then reading about it or hearing it talked about. Another place where I think we um, <laughs> may need to do some debunking is just some of the strategies for for you know how we tell learners to learn. You know so you know, strategies like rereading or highlighting are not nearly as effective as encouraging students to do things like active recall. So, you know, having them quiz themselves or asking them to elaborate. So, you know, maybe have them write a little bit about a topic and how it applies to their work or their life. Yeah. And, you know, subject matter experts are often unconsciously reinforcing some of those things like rereading things and, and highlighting things and not thinking about enough about the role they can play in providing practice opportunities in structuring learning so it's spaced out uh, over time, which we know is just so incredibly important. And, and, and really putting the effort as they create their presentations into you know, how are they going to effectively gain and sustain the learner's attention? How are they going to maintain relevance? How are they going to promote that participation that is so important to the, the learning ultimately being effective? And so, you know, we've been talking about there's this problem of subject matter experts as ineffective educators, or at least uh, ignorant educators, they don't really know how to do it. And then there's this opportunity to help subject matter experts be better educators. And so I think, you know, the question, and Jeff, you began to get into it a little bit a, a minute ago, but, you know, the question then is, why aren't more learning businesses getting in on this opportunity to help their subject matter experts be better educators? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two issues. One, as you noted, I, I did start alluding to a little bit ago, is that many learning businesses feel that they are addressing this issue because they're telling their presenters that they need to include interactivity and engagement opportunities in their presentations. And I myself have filled out applications to speak at a conference where they're telling me very clearly, this needs to be engaging, this needs to be interactive. And honestly, it's not all that helpful and it can feel <laughs> a little condescending. Um, so I'm not sure how our subject matter experts are, are feeling about that. And it's not surprising that we're hearing from many organizations that their presenters, as they put it, just aren't listening to this. They, they just aren't taking this advice that they're being given. But of course, you know, we know that's going to be true if we borrow the words of Harold Stolovich and, and Erica Keeps, who, as they put it, telling ain't training. There's just too much telling going on. So how are we going to model? How are we going to show people how to do this effectively? So that's one issue. We're telling experts this needs to happen, but the experts are just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going on with um, what they're doing. Now, the other issue, I think, is that 
there are multiple actual or perceived barriers to doing anything more than telling. I mean, telling you at least can check the box and say, yeah, we told him that it needs to be interactive. It needs to be engaging. But going beyond that, you know, learning businesses aren't necessarily sure how to help their subject matter experts at a deeper level. I mean, when you dig into it, andragogy and, and learning science, those are those are big, broad fields, the kind of things you can study for years and get a PhD in. You know, people go out and do that. So there's a question of, you know, how much learning science is enough to make a difference and, you know, which principles and guidelines do you focus in on? Because you can't expect a subject matter expert to devote years to studying learning science. And, and I think, you know, in general, we complicate the issue a lot too and go beyond that and often hear from organizations, well, we're special, you know, we've got highly technical training or, or there's, you know, some other aspect of what they're doing and it just won't work for us to do this. Telling doesn't work, but we also really can't invest in, in doing something that's going to be specialized enough to really get the impact we need from, from our folks. And I'll add another nuance to what you're talking about, and that's that learning science is evolving. I mean, just think about neuroscience, which is relatively new. And, you know, now we have brain scans and, and other similar tools that are giving us more and richer and faster information about what's happening physically and mentally and emotionally when we learn. And then, of course, there's the evolving role of technology in the brain and, and therefore in learning, too. I mean, I know in 2021, a, a computer connected to a brain implant system discerned brain signals for handwriting in a paralyzed man and that allowed him to type up to 90 characters per minute with an accuracy above 90%. So if you just think about that whole sort of brain computer interface and even what's happening there, all of that is giving us more and more information about how people learn, what might be possible as we rely more and more on, on technology. And so I bring that up because, you know, even if a learning business does boil it down to the essential for subject matter experts, you know, um, you know, whatever's essential and true, that's going to be based on current knowledge and current findings and current technology. And so then someone needs to be keeping up with those new findings and the new theories and the implications for how subject matter experts do their jobs for that learning business. And of course, the complexity and ever-evolving nature of learning science has given risen to a, a cadre of translators, so folks who make it part of their life's work to look at the new studies and findings coming out of usually academia and translate that into practical how-tos for subject matter experts. And I'm thinking of folks like Ruth Coleman-Clark, Julie Dirksen, Will Tallheimer, Connie Malamed, and many others, many of whom have been on the podcast. And you know, serving that uh, translator or bridge mode is also something that, that we do at Leading Learning through this podcast and, and other resources. That's true. And, and we have an essential guide to andragogy for learning businesses. We have another guide called On Learning Well, a practical look at meta-learning for learning businesses. And we've published those on the Leading Learning site. And we'll make sure to include links to those free resources in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 291. And then more recently, we've added a video-based online course to our offerings called Presenting for Impact. And that one's not free, but it's very affordable, especially compared to trying to develop something from scratch. And it addresses some of the barriers we've been talking about by 
homing in on the most essential principles of adult learning and how they play out in a presentation that a subject matter expert might develop. And we've tried to make it, you know, light on theory. There's a lot of theory underlying it, but we don't make that explicit in the actual course. Rather, you know, we focus on showing rather than telling, on, on trying to model those best practices throughout the content of the course and, and also providing plenty of opportunities for the learner to take ownership and to apply the ideas that are, that are presented. If you'd like to find out more about that offering, which again is called Presenting for Impact, we will of course link to it in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 291. But you can also go to it directly at leadinglearning.com slash presenting hyphen for hyphen impact. Well, and another barrier, and I think this applies if you're going to make use of something like the presenting for impact course or any of these other resources you know another barrier is, is is that you have to convince subject matter experts to carve out the time to learn more to learn about andragogy we're all busy or almost all busy and you know i think that's a valid point yeah and i believe that most subject matter experts want to do their part well you know they're not volunteering in the case of they're volunteering or even if they're getting paid to to do the job poorly. You know, I, I believe they'd rather develop and deliver something that will have an impact and make a difference rather than just phoning it in. So I think if you can tell them the story of how whatever training or support you're offering them will improve what they produce and thereby the learning outcomes, most subject matter experts are, are going to jump at that. They're going to want to do it. I think it's about helping them understand what's at stake. So they engage and then making sure that what you provide them is truly practical and, and helpful and, and hopefully compelling. And so I think this gets to the idea of, of walking the walk and not just talking the talk. You know, don't just say you should be engaging. You should right. you should be participatory. Thou shalt be engaging. <laughs> right. It's the idea of let's let, let me show you how some ways that you can be more engaging. And so, you know, for a learning business, sound science-backed approaches to learning really are essential. And a subject matter expert needs to see and hear from the learning business that it takes andragogy and that it, it takes proven methods and proven approaches seriously. And I think a less appreciated side of all of this is that providing those sorts of subject matter expert enrichment opportunities, opportunities for them to learn can also help and attract, uh, help attract and, and retain subject matter expert talent in you know what's often an increasingly competitive landscape. Like you said, people are busy. The people who are going to be the best presenters often have many other obligations, not necessarily just presenting in other places, but just you know doing their jobs, living their lives, doing whatever their professional practice requires. So convincing them to, to work with you, if, if you're going to really support them well in doing that, if you're going to invest in them and, and help them improve, that's attractive. That can help them make them loyal to your learning business. You know, it's something you can even use as a, as a thank you to, to show that you really appreciate these people who are taking the time to create learning experiences for your learners. Well, and you know, you mentioned competition there, Jeff, and I think that takes us back to some of what we were saying at, at the outset, you know, learning businesses usually face competition. 
So investing in, in subject matter excellence or enrichment, that helps to combat competition in, in two ways. One, it makes the learning products you offer better. And two, it keeps subject matter experts loyal to and connected to your learning business and the people on your team, the people in your network. Those are almost always a differentiator and an asset in a competitive environment. That's a look at the essential role subject matter experts play in most learning businesses and some thoughts on what you can do to best support subject matter experts. For full show notes and other resources to help you up your learning business's game by investing in your subject matter experts, please visit leadinglearning.com slash episode 291. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 291, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. We hope you will subscribe if you haven't yet. Subscription numbers give us some visibility into the impact of the podcast. We'd also be grateful if you take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Salise and I personally appreciate it, and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 291, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. <laughs>